this is Take Notes with Jen Rafferty, where we move music education in new directions. I'm your host, Jen Rafferty, a music educator, author, and huge social science nerd. And I am so excited to go on this journey with you as we highlight the intersection between music education and the social sciences. I'm going to start by asking you some questions. How much do you play throughout the day? How many minutes or hours in your day do you actually spend playing? How do you feel when you're engaged in something that's playful? And what prevents you from doing it more often? The connection between play and education is profound. We know that play is an important part of learning, particularly in early childhood education, but why does it stop? What's so much more important that play takes the back seat and there's no longer time for it, or it becomes some sort of special treat in between all of the seriousness? And there is a lot of seriousness. So my guest today, Dina Bolin, has spent most of her career focusing on the power of play in the classroom. The theory is all there, but it's putting it into practice. So I think what I've found is that in our society, at least in the United States, but I'm hearing very much in the UK as well, Um, and other places in the world, that play is very much socially accepted for early childhood education. And we kind of know what it looks like. You set up a kitchen in the classroom, a play kitchen in the classroom, you have blocks, things like that. But now how does that translate for older kids once we go into elementary school, past kindergarten age? So for me, this is kind of the formula that I use as an educator. And I think it's really important that both elements of this are sort of thought about uh, as a teacher. So the first is that we can interpret all of the standards and all of the, the things that we have to teach. We can interpret them through a lens of playfulness. So I think what a lot of teachers think is, well, I have to turn everything into some kind of game or I have to turn everything into some kind of activity. And that's not necessarily the case. Play can be playfulness. So then the first thing is as a teacher, you start to look at the standards that you have to teach and you think to yourself, okay, how can I look at this in a playful way? And I'll give an example in in a second. But then the second prong is, how can I do it in a way that feels authentic to me as an educator? Because if you're the type of person, like I am, unfortunately, I don't know if you share this with me or not, but I'm not an athlete at all. I don't like sports. So I probably wouldn't ever bring games that are sports related into my, into my practice, but I'm a really imaginative person and I actually love music too. And I love theater. So I'd probably be more likely to bring it some kind of imaginative play or look at it through a lens of imagination rather than a lens of, okay, let's get outside and move through this, you know, through this lesson. Okay. Makes sense. So take something that you're comfortable with and then use that as your lens in which you teach. So take a second and ask yourself, what do you like to play? How do you like to play? Dina gave a great example of what she does with her third graders. We have to teach a lesson in um, mystery, or I'm sorry, a unit of mystery reading. And so I thought, okay, how can I do this in a playful way that's going to feel really authentic to me, but is also really going to engage my kids? So what I did was I thought about how I like to do things with technology and imagination. And then I thought about my kids and I thought, well, they really like Among Us right now. That's a really big thing that's going around. So 
while I was teaching this mystery unit, I had them come up with a detective name for themselves because I thought that would be fun. And then they made a little detective notebook. And then everything that we did, I kind of put it through the lens of Among Us. So the suspects, and it kind of just fit really naturally for them. Um, you know, and they, and they started using some of the terminology of Among Us to, to get through this unit. So it felt really good and comfortable for me but it also was really relatable for them. And it it didn't really involve too much extra work on my part. It was just more of looking at it through a different lens than just reading from the curriculum book. I want to pause for a second so we can fully appreciate what's going on here. Whenever we're feeling intensity or pressure, which is sometimes what school feels like to a lot of kids, it puts the nervous system into a sympathetic state. And this is the body's involuntary response to a stressful or potentially dangerous situation. Hormones like cortisol boost the body's alertness and heart rate and sends extra blood to the muscles, preparing for a fight, flight, or freeze response. And while this seems really dramatic for a classroom situation, the stress cycle of our brain and body hasn't changed much since the days of hunting and gathering. So if there is a conflict in the lunchroom, the nervous system is now flooded with stress hormones, which is just not ideal for learning. However, when we choose levity and play, it allows our nervous system to calm down and enter into a parasympathetic state, which is an open place for creativity, curiosity, and fun, which is pretty optimal for learning. And all it takes is some awareness and making a new choice in your approach. A good rule of thumb is to ask yourself, how can I make this 10% more fun? The power of play sounds, it could sound great theoretically, like, oh yeah, we're going to let our kids play. But I think a lot of teachers maybe don't even buy into it in the first place. And I think that play kind of deviates from that traditional understanding that a lot of teachers have. And so the data is what really opened my eyes with play. There is so much neuroscience, so much research behind what the brain actually does while it's playing and the amount of learning that can happen through play. It's it's just irrefutable. The, the research really says that learning happens during play at a much faster and more efficient rate than any other way of learning. And so I think if teachers could really understand that, That needs to be part of the way teachers are taught from the very beginning, and that needs to be professional development. I certainly haven't seen it in my career. When I was getting my master's, I did, but now that I'm an actual teacher, I haven't really heard people explicitly talking about play and its power. So I think, you know, even myself learning in these last couple of months really deeply and looking at the research behind it, I'm so much more bought in too. Um, And I think if once teachers see that, okay, there actually is hard evidence. This isn't just a hippy-dippy idea. There's hard evidence behind this, behind the power of play. Um, I think then they can start to get more comfortable with what I was talking about before, which is then using their own personality and their own background and their own interests to bring play into the classroom 
through looking at every lesson that they have to teach through that lens of how can I just make this a little bit playful? It doesn't have to take a lot. You don't have to redesign everything. You just have to find a way to bring in a little humor if that's the way you are as a teacher or bring in a little bit of movement or bring in a little bit of an interest that you know your class has into that lesson and you will hook them and engage them and the learning will just happen faster. And I know that there there are teachers out there that are even more bound by the standards and even more put under more pressure for their kids to perform in a certain way. And so it can be hard, but I think it's just a matter of of getting it in there in just even the littlest ways that you can. So that way it's it's part of your, your students' education because it's important. It's also important to clarify here that Dina was never saying to throw away the standards or lower the bar in any way. It's just instead of coming at learning and structuring a lesson plan from the left, what would happen if we just approach this from the right? it does too that's really interesting is it sort of levels the playing field for all learners in the classroom too because that's something I love about play once you've added a playful lens onto anything that you're doing it automatically kind of takes the stakes it lowers the stakes because it doesn't feel like you're entering into a reading lesson anymore like this high stakes hard reading lesson it feels more like you're going into a fun experiment or a fun environment. And so the kids that struggle tend to go into it with a much more positive mindset. And then more learning happens that way too. So this sounds great, but we need some hard data. Where is that information where we can show our administrators, our communities, our parents that this isn't just fun and games, but it actually results in better learning? Yeah. So, so number one, I always look at, I think that engagement and achievement go really, really hand in hand. So the, the the first thing that I have to get on target is to make sure that all the kids are engaged in the lesson. And that's a really easy thing to just observe data wise. Um, You know, that every child is raising their hand, every child's participating. So that I can say a hundred percent for sure is happening. And so from there, Um, knowing that every single child is engaged in what they're doing. From there, then I can start to see, okay, now let's look at the hard data of where their reading level is going. And so from the beginning to the end of the unit, I did notice that their reading level, while it might not have gone up a full level, let's say, reading skills like making inferences, using... um, context clues, all those kind of strategies that I was looking for them to be able to do, they not only were able to do, but could also really explain um, and kind of go through that metacognitive cycle of being able to talk about what they were thinking, which I think is really great. And that shows that they were just so engaged in the activity that they could really talk about what it was that they were doing rather than doing it because they thought it was an assignment or they perceived it as an assignment that just had to get done. And I think that's really amazing. That's that's what we're, that's the target when you're an educator. You want your students to be able to really talk about how they got 
to how they made it to a skill or how they learned a skill or how they, you know, how they did something while they were learning. Those metacognitive skills are essential for continued curiosity and critical thinking and love of learning. And that's ultimately what we want the kids to remember and think about is not just the content that they're learning, but how they learn. How did they get there? What is the process of their own learning? And while those metacognitive skills develop as they get older, you can still start to ask these really important questions when they're younger. I also asked Dina to talk about what the classroom structure looks like when they're doing a lesson that involves playing. You know, it's funny because I actually think that you can do this. It's, there's such a spectrum. So for a teacher that isn't 100% comfortable, and by the way, because of COVID, I've actually needed to go to a really far end of the spectrum that I might not have been before towards the traditional end, because they do have to have the kids in desks. They can't be sitting in partners and in groups. We can't do a lot of the more progressive things that we might've been able to do in the past. So it's funny because if you looked in my classroom, you would actually think, oh, wow, this is a very, very traditional classroom this year because they're sitting in rows six feet apart from one another. Um, and they have to they have to mainly stay where they're sitting for a lot of the day. So what I would say is, you know, for for a teacher that's been more traditional for most of his or her career, you can you can still bring in play in not maybe not so um and not so of an overhauling kind of way. So for example, you know, they like I said they are sitting in their desks and they are, we're doing a rocks and minerals unit. And I brought in some Minecraft into it. But really all it is, is like the mention of, hey, did you know that there is a real rock called obsidian? And then the kids say, oh, really? Yeah. Did you know that from Minecraft? You know, just kind of bringing it into the conversation just automatically engages them. And I haven't really changed my lesson plan. I've just brought that idea into what I'm talking about and it just engages them. So it can be as simple as that. It doesn't really have to be, oh, my classroom looks like a completely alternative, progressive world. Um, It's just more bringing in things to the lesson that are going to engage and kind of hook the kids in. So there are two things that have been resonating with me throughout the interview with Dina. And the first thing is relevance. We want to keep the content we teach relevant and make sure that we are actually teaching the kids who are in front of us. And interestingly enough, this has been a theme that has kept on coming up with every single guest that I've interviewed for this podcast. Our students need to see themselves somewhere in the lesson in order for them to really connect with the things that you're teaching. So bringing in elements of play, of the latest video game that they're playing, of the music they're listening to, of the latest YouTube video makes all the difference because, again, we are making connections in those those neural pathways that Virla Ponit was talking about in episode six is that, you know, when we're connecting with those neural pathways that already exist, we're not trying to start from scratch having two new neurons talk to each other. We're adding on to something that's already there. And that's when the deeper learning happens. That's where the repetition happens. And that's where they'll be able to really digest 
in the content and, and learn something that will stick. And the second thing I was hearing Dina talk about was, again, just levity and not taking everything so seriously. And these ideas led Dina to a new business venture, which she has been able to do throughout COVID while she's been teaching full time. Her company is called Club in a Crate. Where it came from originally was I just felt so many kids out there were learning virtually, of course. And in that process, being taught, and and I don't want to make generalizations, but many were being taught very traditionally through the computer, right? It was very rote kind of instruction, maybe sort of boring. I was hearing a lot of parents saying that it was not an engaging experience for their children. And I was sort of out of this world because I've been teaching in person all year. I haven't ever really had to do the virtual learning thing. So hearing this from parents was really making me upset. So I thought, okay, you know what? Is there a way that I can help kids out there that are suffering probably socially if they're getting a very traditional education virtually, but also with the boredom and the negative attitude towards having to be virtual. How can I do both? So I thought, okay, who doesn't like getting a package in the mail? I even do as an adult. Even if I've ordered it for myself, I like pretend I don't know what's inside. And I love the surprise of opening it. Um, So I thought, man, kids really need that lift right now. But even at any time, no matter what's going on in the world, they're going to love a gift in the mail. So I thought, let me pick some really fun, playful, open-ended toys that kids can get in the mail. And then we can meet together and we can just play and we can talk about what we're making and we can start a whole social group around it. And so that was what I did. I just, I, I started to send out, um, building kids, different things that I just loved that I thought were really great open-ended toys to kids. And then we joined together on zoom and have this really positive, amazing experience together where we were playing. And so what it sort of morphed into though now is that I'm also teaching parents through the process about play because the way we were raised, and I even said it myself, I came from a really traditional public school upbringing. Parents think it's not learning unless it's like a, in a, in a worksheet format or unless it's in some kind of workbook you know, unless they're doing drills or unless they're really answering multiple choice questions, it's not learning because that's the way that they were raised. So I'm trying to shift the mindset and help parents see as well that there is power in learning through play. So that's what it's kind of turning into now as well and bringing the parents in on it um, also. And many have now really seen the, the power of open-ended play in their children. And while there are many toy subscription companies out there, Club in a Crate focuses on two things. First, socialization, and the second is open-ended toys without the idea of this end product or final destination. I like the idea of giving kids the agency to be able to create what they will out of it and not have that preconceived idea of what it's supposed to come out to be and following a step-by-step thing. I like the idea of them being able to just play and use their imagination and come up with something that is their own. So again, open-ended play is so important for fostering creative problem-solving skills 
innovation, creativity, critical thinking, while we connect an element of fun as we learn. Those standards are still fairly broad and you can always find windows and doors to kind of like get through those standards and you and interpret them in your own way and bring something playful or bring something engaging to them because it, it although yes they can be seem very very prescribed you can also get creative if you just kind of look at them through that lens you have to do that first that's the thing you have to you have to kind of go at it with that creativity but if you can you, you really can find ways to interpret the standards and make them your own. I couldn't agree more with that. So at the end of the interview, I always ask the same thing. What is your dream for education? I really, really wish that children can come to school and be able to find something relatable in their day, or hopefully everything relatable in their day. So that they feel that school and life are going hand in hand for them. That separation of school and home or school and life, I think, is a problem because learning has to be lifelong. You know, it needs to feel like school and learning lives outside of the four walls of the classroom. And so if as teachers and as policymakers and as administrators, we're not helping our children see that through the way that we teach our lessons, through the way that we build communities and cultures in our school, I don't know that we'll really raise lifelong learners. And I think that that is what's really, really important. So that's always been my mission to just engage kids and help them see that school doesn't have to be something that's this thing I do for eight hours and then I go home and do something else. You know, it's what's creating the curiosity and the creativity and the imagination that's going to spark learning forever. And what a wonderful world that would be. If you're interested in learning more about Dina and her work, go ahead to her website at clubinacrate.com, email her at clubinacrate at gmail.com, or find her on Instagram and Clubhouse at clubinacrate. All of these links are in the podcast notes. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe and share with a friend. Until next time, this is Jen Rafferty. Have a wonderful day. This podcast was brought to you by Jen Rafferty Music, cover art by Molly Reagan and Good Neighbor Art, and music by John Kiefner.